Hello, welcome to the Vajrasati Yoga Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Allen, and in this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Kadeen Morecambe. Kadeen is senior teacher and co-trainer alongside Jim Tarran at the Vajrasati Yoga School. She's been practicing yoga since 1997, where she happened upon it by chance through doing a meditation course. Kadeen travelled to India for six months back in 2003 and went back again in 2008 for further study. But she believes that yoga is a constant journey of learning. And in this episode, we do discuss who her teachers are and have been over the years. Her style is calm, focused and gives particular attention to breath awareness and the recognition of energy and connection with our inner state of being. Kadeen says that she's inspired by the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, Tantra texts, the Vijnana Bhairava and Shiva Sutras, but also she takes inspiration from being a mother, an environmentalist or simply by being a being in the world. In this episode, we will be unpacking the stuff that yoga teachers say in classes or the things that you might have overheard and we'll be delving into where these phrases come from. We'll also be taking a couple of questions at the end from Vajrasati yoga teachers. Kadeen has been my teacher for nearly three years now and I've absolutely enjoyed every single yoga workshop that I've attended with her or yoga retreat or yoga holiday. If you guys ever get a chance to be taught by Kadeen, I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. I've always felt so restored and at peace after Kadeen's classes and during them. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed uh, the podcast and stay tuned because at the end we also have details of upcoming workshops and holidays in May and June, April, May and June, run by our beloved Vajrasati yoga teachers throughout the school. Enjoy! Welcome, Kadeen. Thank you for joining me for podcast number two of the Vajrasati podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for doing the podcast. (laughs) It's a wonderful thing. It's my pleasure. (laughs) Um, So we're going to talk about, first of all, we're going to talk about some um, phrases that yoga teachers, we might say or we might overhear in classes And I just want to demystify a few of those phrases, where they come from um, and where they might have their root or just unpack them. Because um, I know that a lot of people um, perhaps don't have the opportunity to question a teacher about what does that mean or where does that come from. So I've got a little list. I've got five to go through. Fantastic. So the first one, as it should be, is Namaste. (laughs) Very appropriate for the first one. Yeah. So, um, namaste. So it, it's used a lot. It's uh, used a lot to um, close the class. Um, I think generally in yoga classes, people use it in that context. Or, although it actually also means hello. So um, if you were saying hello, you you could say namaste. But it's. Um, it's a, a salutation to or a reverence to so that the namas is the reverence to or the salutation to the the te is to you so it's said directly to a person normally so um 
There is a little misunderstanding that um, people often say namaste. I say it myself, but I also say namovaha first because namovaha, it means exactly the same thing, but that's what you would say to a group of people. So as a yoga teacher at the front, if you're closing your class, because you're talking, addressing a group, it's just the rules of Sanskrit, you'd say namovaha. Namaste would be said to one person normally. Although we can kind of get around it because we're, we're addressing the group as, as one. one. So, yeah. you know, that this is part of what we're doing in yoga, isn't it? So, mm. um, yeah, that I mean, that's the basic meaning of it. So um, you often will read and, it, and, you know, if you put it into Google, you'll get little images coming up. Namaste saying something like the, the light in me, the light in, the light me in you, honors the light in you, yeah. which, you know, it's although it's. It's not a direct translation of the word. I, you know, I'm not offended by that as a translation at all. I think it's quite nice that people want to add that because there is a reverence within that phrase to another person. And, you know, there is an element of us perhaps, you know, communicating with another person. If we say it, maybe there's, it brings a consciousness to that communication that we are, you know, maybe communicating with them on another level of um, being other than just simply saying hello or goodbye mm. or thank you. But, you know, we're, we're getting in deeper with them. And just to go back to that, um, the addressing a group or addressing one person. Yeah. Um, namaste could be to well it's to one person so that's why everybody says it back to the teacher but you could say if a teacher says namovaha you could say namovaha back because you're saying it to everybody in the class as well absolutely yeah, yeah. why not i mean that the teacher's saying it to everyone but why not we've had that shared space so yeah. um you know it's interesting in, in the role of a teacher at the front you know, you may be the person that's you know essentially guiding people through a yoga class but more than anything you're a facilitator and we go on a journey together in that group in a yoga class so it's quite nice to honor the other people who've been there on that journey with you in that yoga class so why not say in the mobile and you know yeah. nod to other people if if you're feeling so inclined and you know not just necessarily the teacher maybe you know because partly um without going into a big diversion when we're in a yoga class, part of what makes the magic happens is within the group that um, you may have someone who is having a, a deeper experience within the group and that sort of spreads around the room. So mm. why not honor the other people in the group at the end of the class? It's a nice thing to do. Great, let's move on to the next um, phrase. Um, it's, it is a phrase that I've heard quite a lot in, in yoga classes over the years, um, which is we store a lot, we store a lot of anger in our hips and we can replace hips with thighs or but our hips is the most frequent one. And I had somebody the other day that um, said to me, she'd been to a class where they'd said that and she thought that's why she couldn't uh, do a forward bend because the teacher said, well, you know, you, you store, we store a lot of anger in our hips. Can we just unpack that for a bit? Because I know that it, it's, it doesn't it doesn't come out of nowhere, but what does that mean and why do you think yeah. it's said? Okay, um, I mean, that specific phrase, I, I can't tell you why any individual teacher would say that phrase, apart from the fact that I would hope that it's coming from a personal experience. So there, you know, there are, I notice, um, 
that there are particular phrases that become popular and you know I see this because I see a lot of people teaching obviously in the role of a teacher trainer I get to see what is current in the yoga world because people bring it to yoga school and then they teach and those these phrases come out so I'm sort of aware of some of these things but from my point of view and the point of view within the school and it's one of the things that we emphasize is that whatever we teach whatever comes out of our mouth we know to be at least true on a personal level we don't feed information to people to tell them you're feeling this ever but we might make offerings like oh you know you might experience you might be experiencing a sensation in your hamstrings at the moment perhaps you might be saying that but not everyone's necessarily experiencing that even in a forward bend Mm. so we might make these offerings because we know from the experience of teaching that it's common that people will experience this or we've experienced this when um psychological teachings like storing a specific emotion in your body comes in you know i personally shy away teaching um in that way and using any of those phrases myself because i haven't got a clue whether someone else stores anger in their hips um and i think sometimes you know people might pick up a phrase and it sort of sounds good and maybe they might have a little oh yeah maybe i do maybe that's why my hips are tight we're we're sometimes looking for excuses in a way or reasons reasons, oh why why am i tight in my hips oh it's you know because i'm angry about you know what someone did to me 10 years ago and Mm. that's caused my hips to be tight because there are you know we when we are caught up in the idea of um an individual separate self um you know, we, we feel like we have to apportion what we experience in our body, um, you know, onto something or someone perhaps. Um, instead, if, if we can pull away a little from that idea that, oh, I'm stuck in this body, this has happened to me and, mm. and this is why I experienced that. If we can, you know, come into a practice of yoga there is attuning ourselves to the state of integration so coming into the heart center that you know our heart center is not doesn't care whether we're tight in our hips or not mm. you know we can go into that whether or not we're sitting in padmasana lotus position or whether we're standing at a bus stop it doesn't make any difference where how we touch into our heart center so that um, emotion in the hips kind of becomes a little bit irrelevant but um, I think sometimes people might say that because they might be looking to help people in a way. And I think it, these phrases always come out of good intention from yoga teachers. But, um, you know, it makes people feel better if it's you can say to them, oh, it's OK. You know, it's common. Everyone, you know, everyone, everyone everyone's yeah. having this. We all store emotion in our hips. I mean, so, does, it have any, does it have any relevance of... Um, where the psoas muscle is and where we breathe and, and then we might feel tightness because we're shortness of breath yeah. because we, we have been angry about something is it connected to it that? It could be I mean essentially the mind and the body are not separate and yeah. we know that we know when we um, 
when we're stressed, how suddenly, you know, we, we can start bunching up our shoulders and our breath might become shallow and things are reflected within the body that might be going on within um, the mind or within our emotional body. So, you know, I, I would not say that it's not true that people store um, anger in their hips, but I wouldn't say it's not an ultimate truth. This mm. is the point. So it can be true for some people, but not for everyone. And yes, um, as you mentioned, the psoas connection, that could be a reason that people are um, thinking, okay, we, we can get tight around here because the psoas muscle, as I know you know where it is, but just for our listeners, mm -hmm. is a muscle that um, attaches to the top of the inner thigh and it comes over the top of the pubis, underneath the abdominal muscles and into the lower vertebrae of the spine. So it's the only muscle that attaches the legs to the upper body and it's a hip flexor, so it draws the legs in towards the body. So it's, obviously we're using it when we're walking, we, when we sit down and there is a connection with that because there's a connection with the psoas muscle where it inserts and where the diaphragm inserts so our breath is affected there's an absolute connection there so we know that the breath is affected isn't it by stress and because of day-to-day -day life many people get tight in this muscle and it you know it's linked to the fight or flight response so when um, the body is moving into the sympathetic nervous system the adrenal state um, because it's a muscle that would be used if we had to run, run away fast, yeah. so it, you know so there are absolutely we can find links to um, experiencing um, sensation or tightness in the body with what might be going on with us emotionally but i think it's so different from person to person mm. i you know i yeah i just personally think you know as a teacher i want to really think about what i say and that i'm not feeding a story into people because my job actually is to facilitate an environment where people can not attach to mm. their stories because we're constantly full of stories yeah and this is one of the things that limits us mm. so you know to to say something like that is just like adding another thing like oh yeah and i've got this tightness in my hips because i've got anger from then and it's like mm. actually we can just drop the story of where that anger came from so the next one um is uh, one i've i've said before in yoga classes and just want to and we've covered we covered this in my teacher training but i think it's um, really valuable for um for it to be discussed again is um, set an intention and in, in Sanskrit that's sankalpa um, well it doesn't mean set an intention but sankalpa means intention right? I'm yes it's, a, it's an intention or a resolve so what so. does that where, why does that come I mean when I've heard that at the start of the class to set an intention for the class for me personally I always feel like oh god uh, I can't think of one uh, and it's a pressure to to be like oh I have to I think of something and at the end it was like remember your intention and I'm like oh I didn't I didn't have one and I failed and it's you know this monkey mind but is there where does that it, where, what does Sankalpa come from and, and is there merit in setting not merit but is there 
I guess, value yeah. in setting an intention for your class? Well, the, I mean, there can be. Of course there can be, but um, not when you're feeling pressurised <laughs> to, to set an intention. Maybe I should just be like, or not, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I think this has become a popular thing because partly the popularisation of yoga nidra, and yoga nidra is this practice where it's a reclined practice where we're guided through um, often visual visualizations um, to take us to the nidra state of um, sort of a deep sleep state while we're still conscious so it's a it's a way of tapping into a, a level of consciousness and sankalpa is um, really often used in yoga uh, so sankalpa is often used in yoga nidra as a practice because it's used in that specifically because we are tapping into deeper levels of our consciousness during that practice if we set a positive resolve within that practice you know we're sort of sowing it on that deeper level so we're more likely to you know hold that resolve within our being so this is why it's come into the yoga nidra field so I think that's been picked up by some teachers to put it into class because, oh, it, it's quite nice. Why not set an intention? Why not set an intention that, oh, you know, I want to want to send love to, you know, all my friends and family while I practice or whatever people's intention might be. Um, again, I, I taught a yoga nidra today in a workshop this morning, as I often do. And I, I most of the time I teach it 90% of the time at least I always give people the opportunity for a sankalpa but I normally explain you know how to do it and I often give an offering of a sankalpa mm. in case people don't know and say you are free not to have one so mm. I make that really clear because I don't want people lying there at the beginning of it thinking oh what's it going to be mm. so I normally give them I say if you want to go in for the ultimate sankalpa just have a sankalpa that I recognize I'm consciousness and that's it that's mm. that you know that settles everything from my it, point of view it's an interesting but, um thing to have because it's it, it it almost plays on the board of ego of being like oh an intention oh, I, oh i'm going to be this or i am this and it's like i think it just needs to be understood a little bit better yeah i mean i i think so and i think you know, the ultimate sankalpa of yoga is to recognise our essence nature, is to recognise that we're consciousness or, you know, whatever terminology you want to use, depending which your tradition you're looking at. So, um, you know, again, this is a sort of modern day development of yoga that there's a little bit more sort of links in with what people are doing in things like psychotherapy and self-improvement seems to be um, one of the things that seems to be coming more and more into the yoga world and you know I guess people there is that link there it's like oh well let's say something nice let's be positive so mm. um, and you know that that's harmless that you know and and can be really useful for some people and it you know depends on where you're coming from but it can also again that there can be a limitation in that that you are just um, buying into a story and you know depending on what you decide to put in there you know can you live up to your son culpa mm. and that sort of thing as well so there might be a like oh you know I, I had this son culpa that I'm gonna be 
really much much more um maybe i'm going to listen more to my partner or something like that and then you go home and you know (laughs) snap at your partner or something and then think oh you know this is i failed i'm going to be more patient exactly exactly so Mm. you know i think you know my my personal and you know i've got no opinion on how other people want to practice yoga and what they want to take from it because you know it, it is very personal but my um, personal take on yoga is that I am always looking to practice yoga as a form of integration you know a hundred percent of the time that I practice yoga mm. it is my only purpose for practicing mm. so um, you know I I will weigh up whether or not something like a sankalpa is um, beneficial for that purpose at mm. that time and if it's not then I won't like today particularly I, I didn't insert it into a yoga nidra practice that I was leading because we were practicing the yoga of dissolution laya yoga was the mm. workshop and I just wanted people to just dissolve and not have any thought mm. process going around in their mind that I want this or you know I should be this mm. I just wanted people to dissolve so it didn't seem like it was the appropriate time to have a sankalpa today I think maybe we could put at the end of the podcast on the podcast notes for people who might be interested in exam- a good few examples of sankalpas that might be useful yeah. for teachers to to use in classes in case great um, idea you know not as a dogmatic these are the ones you must say but you know we'll we'll discuss that afterwards and there'll be you know here are a few suggestions if you're yeah if you're like me if you're like if you get told to think of your own one and like don't know <laughs> you spend the whole class thinking God, yeah, i've got to come up with something really awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, we'll put that in the, the yeah, list form. Exactly. Um, on to uh, this. Is, uh, this will be a quick one, I think, and it's an, an anatomy-related one. Um, why isn't it correct to say "suck your stomach in"? Okay, this is a great <laughs> one, and I know you know the answer to this, Sophie, because it's been drilled into <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. So, because the stomach is an organ of the body, so this is an organ that our food passes through, The what we might say is tone the belly, perhaps, or the abdominal region, or tummy, because that's referring to a wider area. The stomach sort of sits more over towards if you were to place your hands like on your belly and then move them your hands over towards the left side just under the ribs there that's where your stomach's located so it's really unlikely in a <laughs> class if difficult. someone's saying suck your st- t- stomach in that they actually mean that so you know there's some basic things and one of the things we always try to do in the school is you if we're using an anatomical term we use a lay term as well so mm. if we are saying hamstrings we'd say back of the thighs as well because although it's so familiar to those of us who are regular yoga practitioners these terms like hamstrings it's not familiar to everyone so but it is interesting uh, though the stomach thing because you think about um before i studied anatomy would never question that and you hear things like you want a flat stomach or your stomach's (laughs) getting a bit big or you know it just when you when I hear it now it sounds hilarious because then I think about your kid like in the same way it's just like hold your kidneys in like it just sounds a bit nonsensical but it's just a reminder of like no your stomach is an organ you can't suck it in well well, I mean I definitely (laughs) can't I don't think a lot well it changes inside whether or not you can size whether you've got food in it so it's not something but I think it's just things again it you know 
knowing what we're saying as yoga teachers always and sometimes we do say things that are incorrect but if you can catch yourself then it, you know students are cool if you say oh actually I didn't mean to say that yeah you know if you you accidentally said suck your stomach in actually what I mean is tone your abdominal region mm. or you know bring attention into the belly or or whatever that yeah. might be and you know this sucking in what does that mean does that mean that there's a little breath holding in mm. that which can often be that get that sort of feeling that it yeah. means that there's a little retention in there so it that could lead to people doing something that you actually don't really want them to do so we've got to be really clear of how something like suck the stomach in might be interpreted by someone as to be something that's a really strong movement or mm. not so strong or they might suck and then hold to me you know to hear that as a phrase it's not a phrase i use but it makes me think if i heard that i would probably pull in my abdominal region and i think i would probably hold my breath because it's yeah. that sucking yeah. in action well, so yeah even the, even the freezing exactly yeah. exactly so i think we um language is never an ultimate truth anyway so mm. we can't really get caught up in language but people will interpret language in very particular ways and people will interpret differently so you have to think about could someone misinterpret that in another way yeah the last one, um, which is beautiful, I love the many translations of this word, um, and it is, well, it's, a, it's a, a sound rather than a word, om. Now this is a whole podcast in <laughs> we've itself. Got, I've we've done got work. five minutes to cover om. <laughs> okay, very quickly. Um, so, um, om. So we find om is mentioned in so many texts that have influenced yoga. So through um, the tradition, we've got whole Upanishads written on Om. Oh. And if you are really interested, it's quite a short Upanishad, but I recommend that people read the Mandukya Upanishad because that is on Om and it's beautiful. I absolutely love it. So, mm. um, so Om can be said we often hear it as the vibrational sound of the universe. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, from what I've read within texts, that fits. That's part of the re uh, meaning of Om. But, but what does that mean, the vibe, like, from a sound that we can hear? So, a sound which, so if we, from the yoga point of view, if we can expand out into this oneness of a whole universe i'm gesticulating a lot with my arms here which i realize people can't see on a podcast but so if we can expand out so i was using this as an example of my students um this morning that when you know we have the experience of being here in our body on this planet the earth but if we can pan out if we could pan out and go into space we'd look back down on the earth and we'd just see one thing mm. we wouldn't see six billion people or seven billion people however many people we have on our planet now as individuals going about their individual life we just see one thing and the more you can pan out the more you know you could pan out from the the solar system and you know the, then we've got one um object there so yeah. you could keep that i mean this expansion out so 
this sound is said to be sort of underlying. It's not necessarily that you're going to go, oh, I'm just going to go outside and see if I can hear Orm in the air. But, you know, without, you know, I'm not um, a physicist, but I know that there are um, explorations within um, physics, you know, that, that we have this vibrational experience of life everything is within this vibrational experience so you know within vibration there will be sound Mm. um so that's just one i don't want to go too far down that route of just the sound of om but om is a representation of the absolute basically so om is a representation of this underlying unity experience of everything it's the representation of um everything you know, as one thing. So, you know, whether we call that consciousness, Brahman, Shiva, you know, there, there are different, you know, Buddha nature, there's lots of things we can call the experience, the expanded state out, but Om represents that. And um, again, so going back to some of those earlier references in Upanishads, the Chandogya Upanishad, Um, that has a really lovely the first verse of that has a really lovely um, verse where it brings it it goes through a few things like water and plants and it goes through elements of nature and how you know everything it comes back to Om Mm. in that way so um, and tell us tell us the translations that Om can mean the translate well there's no real direct translate i mean you can if you look it up there are some um translations that you'll find that people will try and put om into words but there's no direct translation because it's a bija sound mm. which means a seed sound so we have lots of these but om is the most well known and it's the most documented within texts so there's no there is no direct trans well, I know what you're looking for actually. <laughs> there is a word. I'm willing you can, to say you're it. You're willing me to say it, so I'm looking at you. It also means yes. yes. So it so is the word in Sanskrit that means yes. So there is mm. an affirmation within Om as well. So when we're chanting Om, we are, you know, affirming that recognition of this connection with the wholeness. And, so, we, and we can also be just using it to say directly yes and are we doing it as well we've heard before a, a translation is so so be it yeah which you, is an allowance of, yeah absolutely of, allowing, allowing of everything of yeah what i like about om <laughs> and it being able to have the meaning so be it is that it's an allowance of everything that's happening it's allowance of reality as it is just bring it bring it on (laughs) yeah absolutely it's just a dropping in isn't it to everything so Mm. it's not um it's easy for us as humans i think the human condition is a very interesting one and this is probably partly why people um are interested in psychology a lot and bring it into yoga because we start to we start to get a little bit more intimate with our own psychology through practicing yoga and you know the there's a dropping in that you know this allows in this recognition so using something like om you know it allows us to oh okay i I don't have to be caught up in that Mm. but i can be caught up in something bit not caught up is not the word but i can be identified with something that's bigger than you know these 
thoughts or worries or whatever it might be that consume us mm. in our mind but um yeah i mean i love chanting om mm. i know that um you know we could say that that you know i know you've brought that into why do yoga teachers say it and but i i do when i chant it i really mean it when i chant it mm. and when i get my students to chant it and i can see and it you know really put myself into that so there's no part of me that's not in that chant so i know sometimes people find it a little bit like oh it's a little bit of an add-on at the end of the class but i always hope that the class has led up to that point where we can all drop into a unified arm together mm. and have that closing experience of I unity mean, that ties into the what we we're saying before about being in a group and i went to um, a workshop where there was maybe 200 people in the room and they started with an om and it was just I you know just filled with kind of oh that is beautiful to hear 200 people chant om together and sometimes when I've been teaching chant om at the start everyone's a little bit out of sync and out of tune with each other and it doesn't happen all the time it's not something that I'm trying to make sure happens at the end but when it does it's quite beautiful when you chant everybody starts together and everyone's in tune yeah and it's like well look at that that we've all practiced for an hour just over an hour together and and we're literally in tune with each other yeah it feels really unified doesn't mm. it and one of the interesting things because i pretty much always chant om unless i choose for some reason i might choose another bija mantra at the end but again i'd say in 90% of my classes at least that I close it with all. Mm. Um, one of the things that's interesting about it, depending on the kind of class it's been, maybe it's been a more energetic class or it's been, you know, maybe a more relaxing class, the arms change each time. My arms mm. change each time. So I, when the sound comes out, I'm often surprised by <laughs> how my arms come out. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's really interesting because it's a reflection of what I'm experiencing right now so you know I'll be surprised at you know the the quality of the sound of the om whether sometimes it might have might be a more sort of uplifted om and sometimes it might be a fairly somber kind of om so it's quite interesting to oh and it just comes out of me it's not that I'm trying to I mean I'm not a you know Jim would always argue with this that everyone's musical. I'm not, you know, a naturally musical person. I don't play any musical instruments. Um, although I'm having a little go on the harmonium at the moment. <laughs> Can't wait <laughs> but, to hear it. Yeah. That'll be the theme music one day for the podcast, hopefully. So um I yeah, I, I always it fascinates me actually how that comes out because I it's not like I'm trying to make it sound a particular way. I've got a particular student who is a singer and she always tells me how she has to resist trying to harmonise when the arms Absolutely. happen. Absolutely. Whenever Which, I have actors in the room, they yeah. all harmonise with each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean it sounds lovely, but it's quite funny yeah. that that's where exactly. they naturally try and get to. Exactly. So but what you have to do is let go of the self who's trying yeah. to do that harmonising yeah. and that's the key. You've just got to give yourself to the arm. Yeah. Give yourself to the OM. So, the last part, Kadeen, okay. of uh, the podcast, we have had some questions in Ooh, <laughs> from, from our yoga teachers in the school. Um, we're going to start with Claudia Taylor, who asks, why do Vajrasati teachers generally do the postures as they're teaching them? Why don't we do lots of adjustments? Okay. So... 
from my point of view, I do the postures partly because there's a strong people, when they're practicing yoga, they're listening. Some people are listening really well. Some people are half listening. So to have a visual at the front makes a massive difference mm. to people being able to follow what you're doing. Otherwise, you're reliant purely on, on them listening, which, you know, don't get me wrong, that's a really good skill as a yoga teacher. You know, when you get up and walk around and you're still telling them how to do it if you're not um, at the front doing the postures. Um, so there, there's merit in both methods. But being at the front, people have a visual. So as soon as we see someone doing something, you know, our brain responds as though we're doing it. So we understand it a little bit more. Mm. So then we start to, you know, we can move into that posture if we've got someone, oh, okay, I get that more than, because language, again, it's very limiting. So, we, you know, we have, um, I think, you know, 30% of our senses are constantly being focused on our visual sense. So. Um, you know, a lot of our senses are going out through um, our eyesight. So mm. having that visual really helps people. When I teach, I'm always trying to access the state of yoga. So in a way it can come through me and then it can move to my students as well. So part of me being at the front sometimes is that I, I want to find what is it in this moment that's going to take me to yoga because it changes constantly and then I start to move towards that state and then I can access I've got the tools to be able to pass that over to my students so that is part of the reason why I demonstrate the front for people to see on a very practical level and also to access yoga and transmit that through um, the class so you know I it, because it's not something that I can hold on to I can't hold it in my head yeah. I, I can say lots of interesting things because I've been teaching yoga for 15 years so I, I know how to I could stand at the front and just t talk through a yoga class very very easily but it wouldn't be as good quality class from my point of view mm. and from the students point of view you know if I'm able to access yoga, then they're able to access yoga and they can see that. And, you know, you sort of bring people along on a journey with you. But absolutely, I mean, we still do get up and walk around. And that sometimes it's the less experienced teacher that might need to walk around because you become, after a period of time, quite skilled. If there is someone who is sort of out of alignment, it's, it's like a flashing red light in the class. Yeah. And you can see it from the front because you're you're attuned to you know you're used to looking round very quickly mm. it's not always overt to the student so it's more subtle and there is an element when you're in a class if a teacher is constantly walking up and down the class it pulls you out every mm. time that teacher walks past you you're a little bit pulled out of your practice yeah i feel when i when i've had teachers walk past me I, it's that way of um feeling like oh are they gonna are they gonna correct me am i doing something wrong Yes. So you might sort of almost stand to attention as the teacher. Oh, I'm being watched. Yeah. Because it gives you a sense of, 
eyeness as mm. soon as you feel that you're being watched we, yeah. we get we start to go oh you know it's like the you know some people can sing really loudly when they're on their own at home but as soon as they're around other people if people are watching it's like I'm not gonna sing because yes. you've got that sense of eyeness so yeah. it's that can happen in a yoga class if you've got a, a teacher who, and it's sort of you know they're they're doing it in a very nice way but it may in in some instances and mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is always the case because you know I know that there's a lot of really skilled teachers out there doing that but for some people it will pull them out of their experience mm-hmm. just that little bit if there's too much of oh the teacher's coming now yeah yeah they're gonna mark yeah. my work <laughs> yeah exactly. exactly I'm gonna get a gold star yeah the next question is from Tom Cohen who are your teachers Oh, who are my teachers? Well, actually, so originally Jim was my teacher many years ago. Jim Tarrant. Um, he wasn't my first teacher. I had a few teachers, but there was non, no teacher that I would particularly say was my actual direct teacher. I went to many yoga classes, but Jim was the first teacher that I went to and thought, oh, I, you know, I suddenly sort of really felt like I was practicing yoga so Jim was my sort of original teacher back in 1997 um, when I first went to his classes but then over a period of time um, there's been a few teachers that I've um, done some study with Um, I mentioned Judith Lassiter before so um, I've been on many workshops with her so I would consider her as a teacher, although I haven't been on one for probably about four or five years now. Um, But she's a wonderful teacher. I find her really inspiring. Um, And various other teachers that I've tapped into, again, through um, doing several workshops with, like Donna Fahi is very, you know, she's very inspiring. Sarah Powers um, is very inspiring. And um, who, someone who's kind of become a bit of a teacher within the school I would consider Chris Wallace a teacher as well Mm. who I've done a few workshops with and I've done some online stuff with as well but also beyond those um, teachers that I've actually been in their presence with you know there's there's many teachers that I am inspired through their writings. Um, mm. I really love Jai Deva Singh, who was translate. He was a direct um, student of Swami Lakshman Jew, and I suppose through that lineage, you could say I would consider him to be a teacher because I read lots of his translations of the um, non-dual Shaiva Tantra text that he's translated, and I really like um, his particular translations. Um, and there's, there's a few more teachers that I could list in terms of um, writing. Mm. But, you know, a lot of the things at the moment, unfortunately, I don't get nearly enough time to actually go and do direct study. And I, I've sort of been talking, I, you know, I've spoken to Jim a few times about this recently, like feeling like I would like to find a teacher um not exactly guru but maybe a a guru I Mm. I feel like I'd like to do some direct study with someone who I'd like to find someone who I I can relate to that 
I feel is a realized teacher that's mm. who I'd love to do some direct study with but you know they say that your guru comes to you when you're ready for them yeah. so I'm, I'm ready I'm putting it out <laughs> there I'm ready but um yeah I mean there's lots of inspiring teachers out there I'm you know a lot of the teachings that um in a way a lot of the teachers as well that I'm inspired by are um historic teachers that have written these amazing texts mm. so I spend a lot of time doing getting my inspiration from studying um tantric texts mm. I mean and guys we're surrounded by books here. I, yeah. <laughs> so you know in a way that you know I my teachings are sort of through the tradition um many of these um historic teachings mm. Lovely. But it'd be awesome to find a teacher who could pass on some of that. If you're out that. there, guys. If you're out there, <laughs> I'm ready for you. <laughs> um, I just thought I had an idea for an app, which is like match match the yoga teacher to a guru. <laughs> <laughs> like a dating app, but for yoga teachers and gurus. I don't know why I'm thinking about that. <laughs> Thank you, Kadeen. Thank you. We will end it there. And I think it is fitting to end with one om. So um, maybe you guys at home, if you feel moved to, <laughs> um, I don't know if we're just, sorry about the beeping of the email. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's people phoning in. <laughs> that, that in. <laughs> yeah, they're in. Um, so let's, um, let's get comfortable and I'll, I'll let you lead the om, Kareem. Okay, so if you wish, you can bring your hands together to your heart into Anjali Mudra, so it's in a prayer position. And we'll take a deep inhalation to prepare. Thank you very much to my guest, Kadeen Walker. Now I'm going to tell you about yoga workshops and holidays that are coming up in the next few weeks. In Brighton on the 6th of April at the Natural Health Centre, there is a movement, mantra and pranayama workshop with Sarah Palinthorpe from 2 till 4pm. This is an opportunity to introduce or develop mantra, chanting and pranayama into your yoga practice. It's open to all levels and prices start at £20. Book through the Brighton Natural Health Centre. On the 28th of April, which is a Sunday, we have a workshop at Lost in Yoga at Yoga Arch, Camberwell, London at 2.45 till 4.45. This is a yoga and breathing workshop with Katrin Baumgarten. The session begins with a yoga posture practice, so you will stretch and open your body first to create space and a calm mindset to then focus on different breathing techniques, pranayama. Costs start at £22. Book online through lostinyoga.com. Also on Sunday the 28th of April at the National Trust in Sussex from half nine till one, there is a springtime retreat, which will be yoga and walking in the Sussex countryside with Nikki Crabb. It's a rejuvenating and nourishing morning of walking in nature and yoga practice to help our minds and bodies make the transition from winter to spring. Prices start at £25 and you can book through Nikki Crab at virginmedia.com. 
In Brighton on Saturday the 11th of May at About Balance Studios, we have a workshop titled Grounding Body Awareness and Subtle Energy from 2pm till 5pm with Sarah Pillenthorpe and Tom Cohen. Prices start at £23 and book by going to aboutbalancebrighton.com. On Sunday the 19th of May in Hove at the Tree of Life from 10am till 1pm, a workshop entitled The Myths of the Arsena with Kadeen Morecambe. This will be a fun exploration of the myths behind the names of the postures. Prices are £25 and you can book directly with Kadeen. On June the 9th in London with Jim Tarrin, we have Yoga and the Pranic Body. Book through Yoga Point in Brixton. In Sussex, we have the Gales Retreat Centre happening on the 21st to the 23rd of June, where Kadeen is hosting a summer solstice weekend retreat. This will be an in-depth, blissful weekend of yoga and meditation in the beautiful Sussex countryside. Prices start at £270 and again you can book this directly with Kadeen. And finally, all applications are open now for the two-year 500-hour Yoga Alliance accredited Vajrasati London, October and Brighton September teacher training. This qualification is the creme de la creme, top of the bops, cut above the rest need I go on, of all yoga teacher training out there. And to apply, you just contact Jim Tarrant via vajrasatiyoga.co.uk. Thanks again to my wonderful guest, Kadeen. Special thanks goes to Stephen Amos for his skillful editing, Katrin Baumgarten for the beautiful artwork for the podcast, and Pablo Wilson and Jim Tarrant for the gorgeous music. Mostly thanks to you, the listener, for staying tuned right until the end of this podcast. I'm pretty impressed. Um, I'll be back soon with another episode where I'll be interviewing a special guest from the Vajrasati Yoga School. Namaste.